Chapter 17 of The Mute Singer by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 17 The Mob and the Singer. The plans of the enterprising Monsieur Legrand who built high hopes upon the powerful attraction of the new vocalist and looked forward to a brilliant musical season were unexpectedly frustrated the revolutionary spirit which for a long period had agitated the murmuring masses in paris had given forth at intervals a sound like low mutterings of distant thunder before the storm breaks forth in fury now began to assume a distinct voice and take a definite and menacing shape the month of february eighteen forty eight was advancing and rapidly ripening those portentous events which culminating burst into action on the twenty fourth and led to that fierce struggle when france went mad with the fantasy that she could become a permanent republic without possessing the first fundamental elements of republicanism monsieur legrand though not wanting in patriotic feeling loved his art and the accumulation of gain by its successful administration far better than politics whether france remained a monarchy or proved herself capable of becoming a republic was a matter of secondary importance to him so long as music stirred the hearts of the million and concert rooms were crowded but after the inauspicious twenty fourth of february when louis philippe trembled upon the throne from which he was shortly after ignominiously driven never to rescind trade was at a standstill shops were closed places of public amusement almost deserted occasional brief lulls of the popular excitement did not deceive monsieur legrand his prophetic spirit warned him that the struggle would be of protracted duration and keep the public mind unattuned to harmony for months to come the judicious leader wisely turned his face towards other less distracted lands and resolved upon an immediate tour through great britain his musical corps was ordered to hasten all necessary preparations and apprised that he expected to depart in a few days as we have already stated maitre bourgeot was a regular member of monsieur legrand's company he would not therefore be separated from his beloved pupil although he was nominally and actually her guardian it was indispensable to her comfort and respectability that she should have a protector companion or attendant of her sex when this necessity suggested itself to bourgeot whose watchfulness never slumbered he at once sought ursule and with little difficulty persuaded her to accompany them he also induced monsieur legrand to include her travelling expenses in those of sylvie and to make a small addition to the weekly salary of the latter that she might be able to remunerate ursule for her time and services monsieur and madame de la roche 
contemplated yielding up their daughter without more sorrow than was natural, they had become wonderfully forbearing and reasonable. Sylvie's own emotions were of a conflicting character. The pain of parting from her father before he was fully restored to health counterbalanced the pleasure she had experienced at the prospect of seeing foreign countries, gaining information, and entering fully upon the labors and glories of her profession. The duties of Mitaillu had been lightened by the convalescence of Monsieur de la Roche, and the poor cripple could not help feeling that the sole bright epoch of his shadowed existence was drawing to a close, and that his occupation would shortly be gone. From the moment that he heard of the proposed journey, his homely countenance betokened the most poignant grief, and though he said nothing, heavy sighs would burst from his laboring breast as he crept about the room, and he became so absent that the invalid for the first time was forced to rebuke him for inattention. This change in the deportment of the unfortunate boy did not escape Rougeau, for he comprehended its cause and was readily moved to pity. One morning, as he was conversing with de la Roche, and noticing the languid motions and drooping mien of the ungainly attendant who was brushing his master's clothes, the musician came to a sudden resolution. Kindly impulses appeared of late to be ever uppermost in his nature. Monsieur Legrand cannot stir without his valet, he said, addressing the invalid. My toilette does not compare badly with his nowadays, but I have never indulged myself with the luxury of a valet, as I shall have a young lady under my charge to whom a servant might be useful. I have a great mind to engage one. What do you think? Matayu appears to be tolerably handy and tolerably faithful. You are almost well enough to spare him. Would you object to my taking him with us? With what a gasp and bound, the deformed boy leaped from his corner, dropping his coat and brush at the words. His hands clasped, his uncouth features distorted by the sudden transition from despair to hope. He ejaculated, "'Take me, take me with you. I will be the most faithful of servants. Say you will take me, or I shall die.' "'Young man, you are oppressively tragic,' replied Bourgeot with mock gravity. "'If a breath can save your life, we will not permit your immediate dissolution. You shall go with us. There, that will do. Now don't interrupt us with any grimaces or gymnastic exhibitions.' If you want to dance upon your head, go to the kitchen and give Jeannette the benefit of the feet. Go, go. If Matthieu, when he rushed from his new master's sight, did not literally obey the bidding, he probably vented his ecstasy in a manner not less fantastical and comical. Great and ill-concealed was the satisfaction of Madame de la Tour, when she learned that Sylvie was so shortly to leave Paris. Honorine, on the other hand, was inconsolable, and she made this approaching parting her excuse for spending every moment that she could absent herself from home with her friend. Claudine always accompanied her upon these visits. 
the marquis had not made his appearance in the rue de angoulême since his interview with monsieur de la roche the revolution had burst forth by fits and starts led by an invisible and nameless leader and as the excitement died away after each brief crisis the higher classes entertained a hope that the proposed abdication of louis philippe would restore peace and order it was during one of these apparently calm intervals that honorine entreated sylvie to accompany her to the boulevards to a certain jeweller's one of the few who kept his shop open and assist in selecting a handsome snuff-box for a parting token for maitre Beaujol. the young girls were only accompanied in their expedition by the femme de chambre of madame de saint amar the equipage of the marquis had reached the boulevards and was approaching its destination when the alarmed occupants of the carriage suddenly became aware that the city was again in commotion and on the eve of some fresh emeute groups of savage-looking men were gathered here and there talking loudly and gesticulating freely others were occupied in tearing up the pavement and completing barricades commenced some days previous honorine at the entreaty of her more prudent attendant had given the order to hasten home as rapidly as possible when the sound of martial music half drowned by the frantic shouts of the populace broke on their startled ears the carriage was suddenly turned and the horses dashed off into a gallop unfortunately the tumult came from the direction in which they were going down an adjacent street rushed a band of turbulent workmen their blue blouses torn and flying in the wind their grim faces rendered hideous with passion their bare and brawny arms encumbered with clubs and other instruments of attack claudine leant out of the carriage to reconnoiter but in an instant drew back terror-stricken and crying as she hastily closed the window le drapeau rouge the red flag the red flag they are carrying the red flag and they are close upon us the insurgents had substituted this ominous red banner for the tricolored flag of france the coachman lashed his horses but the high-spirited animals unused to the whip reared and plunged without making progress the arms upon the panels of the carriage caught the attention of the mob and in a moment the coach was surrounded shouts of a bas les aristocrats down with the aristocrats down with the aristocrats rose on every side in another instant the coachman was torn from his box and buffeted about amongst the crowd the gaily dressed chasseur was pulled down and his rich livery stripped off and rent to tatters both domestics were soon lost to the sight of three terrified and unprotected women who helplessly witnessed the outrage the violent blow of a rude fist shattered the window-pane another blow on the opposite side sent a shower of broken glass into the carriage one sharp piece struck the white forehead of honorine and a bright red current trickled down her face at this sight claudine lost all self-command and her piercing shrieks mingled with the roars of the brutal men who now thrust their ferocious faces into the carriage charging those within to shout vive la republique long live the republic 
Claudine, not comprehending the order, wrung her hands and sobbed and screamed hysterically, begging for mercy. Honorine was struck as speechless as Sylvie through extreme terror. Pale and voiceless, the trembling maidens shrank into the corner, clinging to each other, too much appalled for thought or action. The doors of the carriage were plucked from their hinges, the steps let down, infuriated men mounted on either side and thrust themselves half into the coach. The shrieks of Claudine were redoubled, but still she took no heed of the command to join in the cry of Vive la République! One of the men seized her in strong arms and, in spite of her wild struggles, dragged her into the street. Irene sprang up aghast, clasped her hands imploringly, tried to speak, but fell back into a deep swoon. With a jeering laugh, another man stretched his arms toward her, but before she was in his grasp, Sylvie lifted her insensible form and clasped it tightly to her bosom. The next instant she too was forcibly drawn from the carriage and stood in the midst of the enraged crowd, but she had not relinquished her hold, and Honorine lay close to her wildly throbbing heart. She knew that there was no mercy to be expected, even for women, and that the lives of two young girls, whom the maddened mob looked upon as obstinate aristocrats, would be meat food to satisfy or feed their fury. With the imminent peril, her paralyzing fears vanished. Her presence of mind, her self-possession returned. She thought not of her own danger. There was none for her if the insurgents were only made aware that she herself was no aristocrat, but a child of the people. It was the peril of the beloved friend, lying senseless in her arms, that quickened her wit. Truly it is very good for strength to know that someone needs us to be strong. With that need for another, a strange, unnatural calmness, a marvelous power, was infused into the strong soul of the feeble girl. As the command to cry, Vive la République, was echoed around her, coupled with the savage threat, she lifted one arm with a gesture of command, and then her glorious voice pealed forth in trumpet tones. Allons, enfants de la patrie, à le jour de glory est arrivé. And the stirring words of the Marseille hymn boomed over the heads of the multitude. Her hat had fallen off. Her dark, luxuriant hair streamed in wild confusion to her knees. Her large blue eyes were dilated to a fiery blackness. The look of horror upon her blanched countenance melted into one of heroic resolve. One arm was still upraised. The other supported the light form of her unconscious companion without seeming to tax her strength. Over Sylvie's arm, as she sang, drooped Honorine's head. Her hat also was gone, her chestnut hair unbound. The bright blood still oozed slowly from her temples and splashed drop by drop upon the disordered dress of the dauntless songstress. With the first outringing of that patriotic adjuration, a death-like stillness fell upon the angry waves that so lately surged up and roared around, threatening to swallow those two tender and defenseless beings. Men held their breath in sudden awe, 
with eyes fastened upon the heroic maiden who stood so fearlessly before them seemed ready to prostrate themselves at her feet in dumb veneration but when she reached the last verse and with a fervor that electrified every heart the words amour sacré de la patria conduit sentient nos vraies vengeurs gushed forth a perfect tempest of shouts rent the air and the singer borne onward as lightly as though she had floated upon that rapturous breath was gently replaced in the carriage with honorine lying in her arms the eyes of the unconscious girl were still closed and her sweet upturned face gave no signs of life save the slow trickling of the red drops amid deafening hurrahs the horses of the marquis de saint amar were released from their harnesses and sylvie saw them dash past the window they will find their way back and their presence will give them the alarm was her rapid thought as she turned her eyes anxiously upon honorine a dozen men had taken the places of the noble steeds and were preparing to bear the young singer in triumph and in safety homeward have the goodness to tell us where you live mademoiselle said one of the artisans addressing her in such a subdued and respectful tone that she could hardly recognize him as the individual who had seized the unlucky claudine sylvie essayed to speak forgetting her inability in the agitation of the moment but no sound issued from her colorless lips happily her tablets were in her girdle she opened them and wrote rue de Anglime, numero blank the man repeated the street and number to his comrades and it was echoed from mouth to mouth then the carriage dashed through the parted crowd amid prolonged huzzas that followed it on its way for a rapidly moving throng kept dangerously close to the wheels they reached the rue de Angoulême. the songstress descended from the carriage still holding honorine in her arms but as light as was her weight now that the strength imparted by the excitement subsided with the peril by which it had been produced the exhausted maiden tottered upon the threshold one of the men pressed forward to relieve her of her burden but she shook her head and loosened not her grasp the cheers of the crowd had brought the inhabitants of the whole neighborhood to their doors and windows sylvie looked up saw matthew for one moment and the next moment he was at her side she placed honorine in his arms and still clasping her motionless hand mounted with difficulty to her own apartment mademoiselle de saint amar was laid upon the sofa and sylvie was kneeling beside her aiding madame de la roche in her efforts to restore consciousness when the rescued maiden slowly opened her eyes matthieu had disappeared the room was filled with strangers honorine gazed about her in alarm and murmured in a terrified tone sylvie sylvie are we safe sylvie replied by a reassuring embrace just then she caught the sound of a well-known voice and rose suddenly the marquis de saint amar was trying to force his way through the crowd brother brother said honorine extending her arms towards him 
the people would gladly have kept the aristocrat back but sylvie waved her hand the imperative gesture was instantly obeyed and room was made for the marquis to pass his sister feeble as she was had risen to approach him and now sank upon his breast he laid her tenderly upon the sofa and turning to sylvie caught both her hands and said in a voice so tremulous that it was hardly audible i owe you my sister's life how gladly i would devote to you my own if you would accept so poor a gift sylvie withdrew the hands which grew cold at his touch her hueless cheek became ghastlier her bowed head was averted it was quickly lifted at the sound of matthieu's voice crying to the people to let him pass assuring them that it was a physician whom he brought sylvie saw dr sylvester made a few steps towards him as though seeking refuge from the marquis but her faltering feet refused to support her and she leaned heavily against her mother struggling with the sense of faintness that crept over her blinking eyes turning her blood to ice she scarcely heard dr sylvester's voice whispering in her ears you are ill we must get you out of this crowd and into your own apartment take my arm lean on me hardly conscious she mechanically obeyed the eyes of the marquis followed her with an expression of intense anguish when she withdrew the hands he had seized when she almost shrank from him when she turned with such a ready confidence to the young physician he felt the one had wholly lost what the other had gained he was roused from these depressing reflections by his sister's anxious inquiries in reply he told her of the return of the unharnessed horses to their stable of the panic which ensued and which was quickly increased by the arrival of the bruised and bewildered coachman who could only tell that he lay prostrate upon the ground almost trampled to death and he heard a voice singing the marseilles hymn that a moment after he was lifted up and saw mademoiselle de la roche standing in the midst of the crowd singing with mademoiselle de saint amar lying in her arms and that he had made his way through the listening throng unmolested and rushed home after sylvie left the apartment the people dispersed Mitayu was dispatched for a carriage and the marquis reconducted his reluctant sister to the faubourg saint germain End of chapter seventeen